The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. And welcome to the third official Paper Cuts pod. I'm Karen Das and I'm joined by Louisa Cossa and Gina Todd. Thanks to everyone who has tuned in already. You can follow us on social media at Paper Cuts Pod on Twitter and you can email us at papercutspod at gmail.com. Uh, all love and hate mail is warmly welcomed. I got an email the other day from someone said she feels like we're all her friends. Oh, that's lovely. I'm already her friends, friends, but you know, she thinks you name? guys are her friends too. Gianna. Gianna, hi yeah. Gianna. Shout out hi to Gianna. Gianna. We love so you. lovely. Um, I'd also like to do a wee shout out. Um, so at my work uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've had an intern working with us. Um, her name is Francesca. She was fantastic. She was from the Fitalea Publishing Program. Great. And um, at the end of her time there, I was like, oh, I've got to go off and do my podcast recording. And she was like, oh, is it Paper Cuts? Oh, and I was like, oh, yeah. She was, I was like, do you listen? She was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yet. she said that um, some of the other students at the Fitalea Publishing Program do listen. So shout out to all you publishing students. Fabulous. They're the future. Of they publishing. are the future and I want them to stay away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, no, very excited to see you guys all You'll come into the industry. You'll be their bus one day. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, or they'll right. be my bus. <laughs> <laughs> so book news. Book news. Philip Roth is dead after we bad mouth him last time. Poor Philip, we didn't mean to do anything. It's <laughs> probably our fault. Um, you know, my first bookshop job, I bought uh, Portnoy's Complaint, um, you know, the 1969 novel of his, and it's so visceral and so descriptive in a really uncomfortable and squeamish way, hard out. I feel um, like I would really enjoy that. Hard out descriptions of masturbation, and there's one scene that I can never unread, and it involved a piece of liver. Um <gasps> Oh my God. Is it Just, like the rat scene in American Psycho? Oh yeah, the rat scene. <laughs> Very memorable, that scene. I've forgotten it. Um, how can you forget the rat scene? I'll tell you later. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty it's too early. <laughs> yeah. But um, he usually appealed to me at the time because I was in my kind of nebbish, you know, attracted to the nebbish kind Yes, of I had a nebbish phase too, actually. Yeah. Arguably, I've never come out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I no longer have Woody Allen as the, like... <laughs> As the, as the head chief of nebbishness. The Kaumatua of nebbish. <laughs> I've never read Philip Roth, so I felt nothing when he died. Yeah, I don't feel anything either. I um, felt nothing. I have no feelings. Yeah, same, but that just goes for general life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just dead inside all the time. No, I mean, um, it did make me think, oh, geez, I should probably read him now. Um, so. What most complaint is great. Yeah, I think I, yeah. I would like to read it, but it's quite far down the list. Yeah. Um, well, R.I.P. Um, Philip Roth, and um, if you're looking down, hope you're enjoying this. <laughs> I'm sure you're listening. Um, so, what, uh, other news? Uh, the Pans, Pans conference starts you, tomorrow. So, Pans conference is the Publishers Association of New Zealand uh, conference. It's biannual, and it's always a really great time because you get mm. to meet up with all your colleagues in the publishing industry. Um, there's some really great speakers. Um, a lot of them are international. Uh, one of them you can actually listen to on Radio New Zealand. She did an interview. Her name is Josie Dobrin, and she runs, uh, what is it called, Creative Access, which is an organisation that places women of colour in internship positions across the creative industry. So that's based in the UK. Um, 
so I really recommend having listened to that uh, interview. Can I apply on for one Radio of those? Um, you, you should listen to it, yeah. and I'll um, if I get um, any contact details, I will pass them mm, on. Thanks, um, She is awesome, and I'll put the uh, interview up in the uh, description Great. of the podcast. Sounds yeah. good. What else are you looking forward to in the? Um, basically, just. The drinks, yeah. yeah. Now they all look great, but um, I am just really mainly looking forward to networking with all the people in publishing. It's it's really I love great conferences. Mm. So do I. Uh, we're we're about that. We I both just love, love them. Yeah, I do love a conference nerds. too, and I, I love a conference lunch. I love a conference morning tea, conference coffee, like that first oh, yes. one where you get that like just black giant and the white. Tough and you just <laughs> you've been out late the night before. I think that like Everyone this could be, be sorry. This could be like the dawn of a new era, like like a new like style, like um, conference wave. You know, conference chic. Yeah, oh, I think it yeah. could be a thing. The new internet style, like sensation. Well, the aesthetic. Let's uh, let's make it lead happen. the way. See media chic. conferences. I just think that's yeah. so fun. I love them too. <laughs> Me too. Um, speaking of pans. Pans, yeah. So the Pans Book Design Awards are upon us. And um, thank you so much to Pans for inviting me to be a judge at these Book Design Awards. Um, I've been so impressed by the quality of book design in New Zealand. And Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, you're welcome. Yeah, totally. Um, there's been some superb work being um, produced, and it's been a really interesting process. There were uh, four of us judging, myself and my fellow judges, um, designers, David Covington, Anna Brown, and Jensen Chow. And we had to whittle uh, down from 110 books down to 33 books across eight categories. Oh, my God. Um, and the categories are great, you know, um, best illustrated book, best non-illustrated book, best children's book, best educational book, best cookbook, best cover, best typography, best young designer and best book. Um, and the announcement um, of the winners will be at a ceremony on the 26th of July. Is it open to the public? I believe it is. I think you can buy tickets. I believe it is. And if you want to find out, you can have a look um, on bookdesignawards.co.nz. And, yeah, I am really thrilled that um, there hasn't been too much haggling over. We're all kind of on the same page, the judges. So to speak. So, so to yep. speak. <laughs> so, <laughs> to speak. Um, so that's been a really great process. So will you two go to the or obviously, yes. and you'll go to? Yes, I will go because my work has some books on the shortlist. You Thank do. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> um, shout out to bias. Katrina, the designer at AUP. Oh, and also all come. the other designers. Mm. You should definitely come, Jenna. Cool. Um, we, um, you know, because we work with um, various kind of cover designers. Cover designers are usually freelance, and um, they're so incredible. Yeah, and you do see the same names popping up every year. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking um, Aaron Berry is a name that pops oh. up a lot, and um, absolutely Katrina Duncan. But yeah, just everyone's so great. Yeah, there's some great design happening Fun. in New and Zealand publishing. Casador won last year. They right? did, yes, yeah. for their the um, amazing cookbook, cookbook yeah. which caused a little bit of controversy on the spin-off. I think. Yeah, you can actually. They published a piece. You can look oh, it up on the spin-off. Right. <laughs> it was really funny, actually. It was I think pretty they published cracker. a sort of scathing takedown and then possibly a retraction. Yeah. So, um, just <laughs> hey, we've got backbone. Oh, hang on a minute. Ah, <laughs> so, search uh, for Casador on the spin-off books page and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love a little ongoing book controversy. Yeah, <laughs> so I can't wait to see what people think of the winners this year. Well, speaking of the spin-off books page, um, should we have a look at what's on there? At the I moment? think um, Louisa, you oh. have uh, the lead book review on the spin-off. It's Me? just gone up today. <laughs> so tell us uh, about that. Um, yes, so I reviewed The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner. Um, I raved about it. I compared her to Flannery O'Connor, mm. Joan Didion, Carson McCullers. Um, it has this great sort of ensemble cast of American misfits. Um, it's a very empathetic betrayal of um, people who end up in the prison industrial complex in the USA. Um, and she's just such an incredible writer. She really um, is, It's yeah. just... Just mind-blowing. I just mm. feel completely transported. Mm. Um, I listened to your review, Karen. Oh, yes, I reviewed it on 95BFM on Loose Reads on Monday. Yeah. Um, and you can. we'll put that link in the description as well. Um, 
That was really fun. It's so funny listening to Mikey being so enthusiastic. Oh, he's great. Ah, he so loves early. books. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes you feel very wow. energized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that would that would terrify me, but it was really cool to listen to. And I loved your enthusiasm for oh, the book. Oh, thanks. I, and I, I was yeah. going to bring Telex from Cuba for you, oh, which is you. Rachel Kushner's first the novel, book. but actually I left it in Wellington. But That's all good. Next time I'll bring it back up. I so really, have you both read The Flamethrowers? I really loved The Flamethrowers. Yeah, I thought co-signing I mean, on that. Yeah, 2013, her book. And I just thought it was like such an incendiary firecracker of a novel that was kind of, it's the kind of thing I'm always hungry for, mm-hmm. something like that. It was really exciting and intelligent and brilliant. And it kind of is this really juicy combination of art, politics, um, revolution and motorcycles, which are all the things that she's really interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they, they do sort yeah. of crop up in all her novels, you know, mm-hmm. fast cars and stuff like that. Art and um, kind of like motor kind of. Uh, I, I don't know any of the terminology. I'm not a car person. But, you know, like fast Things cars and move. motorcycles, but also art and politics. She's yes. so She so deeply immerses herself in the subject. You were saying, Karen, that she researches a lot. Intensely, yeah. And she did a lot of research for the Mars Room. She spent um, immense amount of time um, in prison with criminology students. And she, I don't know if you've read about this, but she... Um, a lot of the people didn't know that she was um, a writer and so she got sort of first-hand accounts of people's stories about how they got in prison and she met one guy who um, was a policeman but he was a crooked cop and he committed all these murders and he was sort of telling her all about them and he told her about all these murders that he'd committed that he hadn't even been convicted of, some of them. And he is, um, she turned him into the character Doc in the yeah. flamethrowers. So, you know, that's oh, you really in the Mars room. room. Oh, sorry, in the Mars room. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. And um, so it's, yeah, just a real look from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rachel Kushner, we're big fans. Um, we're big fans. I have one question. Is she any relation to Jared Kushner? I've wondered that. Yeah. I wouldn't but, be surprised. Yeah. She needs to put a disclaimer at yeah. the end of her. I've well, never seen no. anything about them connected. No, neither. But yeah. when I was kind of emailing back and forth with Steve, I was, we were like, Kushner book, Kushner book. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I actually saw a really good, um, well, yeah, pretty good interview with Natalie Portman. Um, about Jared Kushner because she went to Princeton with her. He was in her class mm. and just her thoughts on him were very oh, funny. Oh, I to read that. There was um, a lot of lot behind the <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> um, old Natalie Portman, she got into a like like PR disaster because of an exchange of emails that she had with well-known contemporary postmodern author Jonathan Safran Foer. That's yeah. right. Email exchange was leaked and it was so pretentious and funny. Oh. Um, actually, I want to re-look that up again. Yeah, it we'll have to revisit it. Time, and we'll put it up in the description as well if I remember to. Everything and, ties uh, back to books. Yeah. And we just wanted to make a quick mention of um, the Women's Fiction Prize was announced like two weeks ago and that was Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi. Mm. What did you think? I wasn't that surprised. Me neither. I just, look, to be honest, I feel like that book has been out for so long. I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. And, you know, there were other really exciting books on that shortlist too. What were they? Um, There was one that I really liked, um, When I Hit You. Which um oh did you read that I haven't read it no oh. but that was one that was really on my radar oh, and looks right, really yeah. exciting yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and what's that what what intrigued you about that book um it looks really gritty and I think it deals with some quite hard hitting issues like domestic violence oh, um yeah young Indian author wow cool. yeah yeah so it's one I definitely want to check out what did you think of Home I don't Fire? I don't know anything about oh. it and I did no oh, research. Good. We can move on. I think his no. booksellers you, like, well, if his booksellers when something that's been out for ages wins. From a from a selling point of view, it's a bit of a want want because if it's a book that people haven't really heard yeah. of before, you kind of get this new way on a new book where yeah. people are like, Oh, I've already read The Home Fire so mm. so from a sales point of view it's not that exciting. No. Mm. It's like a, a good book. Though. A very worthy book. Yeah. Very worthy book. Shortlisted worthy. for the man book prize. <laughs> All right, moving swiftly along, eh? What's next on the agenda? Book review Karen? time. So what have you been reading? Basic Black with Pearls, Lou? Yeah, yes. I've never heard of this. Um, so... 
this is one of these books that I sort of came across. Um, something I really recommend is liking various books pages on your social media or yeah, following totally. them because that's yeah. how I find out about a lot of the books that I read. Me too. So I think I found out about this file like one of the, I think it was maybe the New York Review of Books, yeah. which would make sense because they are the publishers yeah. of Basic Black with Pearls by Helen Weinsweig. I'm probably not saying that correctly, but it's fine because no one pronounces my name correctly either. So I have permission Same. to do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> What's probably not the true. WB of V? Weinsweig. Yeah, I'm not sure, especially because she's a Canadian author and sometimes people anglicise their names. Mm. Anywho, um, so she was a mid-20th century Canadian author and um, she's had quite a late start in mm. life. She was um, married to a famous, uh, I think a conductor or a composer, I forget which. It was in the introduction to this book. And um, she looked after him for basically most of her working life. And then after, I think after he died or after he retired, mm. she began writing in earnest. She was always a writer and a reader. Um, and she had a long illness, which mm. sort of converted her into a reader which then turned her into a writer. But um, I just think she's such an intriguing writer. I'd never read anything or heard of her before. Mm. And this book um, is, oh, I was just blown away by it. So what happens is a middle-aged spy, um, she arranges to meet her lover through a series of really cryptic clues, like magazines that are left in cafes. And it's just incredibly just like, how do they even do this? I'm so impressed. And um, so she's, Somewhere, I think, overseas, and she gets a clue that causes her to board a plane to her hometown of Toronto. And she's walking the streets trying to... She has this clue because when she got to this hotel, which was where the first clue led her, led her, led her sorry, um, there was uh, a brochure about elms and, you know, the trees and mm -hmm. the diseases. So she goes to various streets with elm in the name, of which there are quite a few in Toronto, it turns out. And she's sort of walking around and she's trying to find... Her lover, who is also, you know, her kind of spying partner. And it's all very sort of, you know, cloak and dagger. But she's also, you know, just revisiting her old life, you know, when she was working class, uh, Jewish migrants, mm. um, sometimes, you know, barely had a home over their heads, you know, single mother. And so, but... Um, so when was it written? Um, I wish I I wish I'd written that down. I think it was uh, I think it was in the sixties, maybe. Mm. I'm not really sure. The thing that interests me about her is that she was 58 when she wrote her first book. I know. It just gives us all hope. I, I love <laughs> I love a story like that. Actually, it's the same with um, old Mary Wesley. That's I right, think. the chamomile lawn. Oh, I, she wrote it I in her seventies. Eh? Love that book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, you get the sense that not everything is as it seems, which is what you would expect in a sort of spy novel. But then you get this deeper sense of unease that really nothing is as it seems at all. So I just, I highly recommend it. Great. And um, I think if I were going to um, link it to another book recently, it would be The Lonely City by Olivia oh, Lang. Which is one of my favourites. Exactly. Olivia Lang. Yeah. Um, you know, that sense of being alone in a mm. crowd. Like Urban this loneliness. Is, urban loneliness and that is extremely relevant I think to single middle-aged women in the cities Did you get it out from the library or did you is it still in print? Helen Weinstein It is still in print. It's still in print so it's published by the New York Review of Books. They um, have got an incredible catalogue actually I'm such a fan of their books and I collect them. I have such I, I'll just get produced. anything and yeah. they're such a hallmark of quality that imprint and really nice editions Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So that's mine. Sorry if I went on too that's long. That's a great. No, it's yeah. great. Thank you. Can't wait to read that. Thank you. Um, I read. I've read recently, the Resurrection of Joan Ashby. It was a book that I was very, very excited to read. I was at a conference in Memphis in January, and this bookseller from somewhere beginning with M uh, said, "You have to read this book. It's fucking amazing." You know, when somebody like looks at you like that, and I thought, I don't even know what this person likes, but. I was very compelled by just that sentence. So I ordered it in. It's just come out in a new format. And it's about this um, this woman called Joan Ashby, and she's like a literary sensation before she's 25. She's sort of the voice of America. She writes these really amazing short stories and super imaginative, and she goes on all these book tours, and she's just super fancy. And then she gets married Oh, she never wants to have children. That's her thing. So she gets married and she tells the guy she doesn't want to have kids. He's like, that's cool. Then she gets pregnant. And then he's like, actually, this is all I've ever wanted. 
So she has the baby (laughs) and then has another baby. And so it's kind of about, well, it is about a creative person and how they put that aside to play the be the role of a mother and mm. you know she she wants to be a really good mother so she like goes into it wholeheartedly she has two boys one is really like her like loves reading and loves writing and then the other one is like a little bit standoffish and she doesn't quite connect with him so much so it's a big epic book there's like over 500 pages in it and so you have this her looking after them but she's writing in secret and she doesn't tell anyone and then about 200 pages in, there's this like huge twist betrayal thing that happens. And then it goes on from there. So that that 200 pages in, you're like, where is it going? Then there's this amazing plot point. And then it drives on from there. Now, the last third, and I was talking to Karen about this. Mm. I, don't, I don't want to put people off, but it gets <laughs> a little bit eat, pray, love. Oh, yeah. So, because you know, there's a journey of self-discovery that happens that could only happen with someone who is in. Because to this woman, money is no object. So, um, so is this done in a way that sort of critiques the narrative of woman goes to India. developing country, ex-developing country, or India? Actually, that's real. It's always India. It's India. It is always India. It is India. Um, and you know, finds herself with the help of sort of friendly locals. Is, is she sort of critiquing that idea? Do you think? Um, the- I think it's it's more about taking the time to like be completely selfish and indulge in your mm. own creative um, uh, talent and taking back ownership of who she was before she had her children and perhaps maybe you wouldn't if she did it all again she maybe wouldn't have children mm. so there's and, and also what a mother mm. would give to children so for that last third, I was a bit like, oh, but I still really liked it. And it's made me think so much about the way one does things. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about, just mention, I've just read Motherhood by Sheila Hetty, and I reviewed that on RNZ this week. And then also this other book, And Now We Have Everything by Megan O'Connell. These three books kind of tie in together, and they've all come out this year. Motherhood is Sheila Hetty's fiction book about a woman who's deciding, called Sheila, who's a writer, who's deciding mm. whether she should have a she, child. She does mm. sort of specialise in autofiction. She does. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, if you compare that to Joan Ashbeard, this is like quite a like overly intellectual, not in a scary way, like I don't see myself as an overly intellectual person, but I feel like I got it. Um, that that was... You are an intellectual. It, well, sometimes <laughs> we can save that for another day. <laughs> yeah. but, um, it's quite an intensive look, like introspective look mm. at one's life. Mm. Also dealing with that, is your art more worthy of a child? And is the art that you create, is that going to make up for not having a child? Mm. And then there was this great book that I read. And these are all actually tied to the Memphis conference because I met this guy at the Writers Institute. His name's Dustin. And he was he works in publishing and he was like, oh, my wife is, has a book coming out this year. It's called And Now We Have Everything. And it's about how those two got accidentally pregnant. They were just like living in New York, living up this cool like literary life. And then it's like how that unraveled. And he's like, I look really terrible in this book. And Ooh. I was like, I definitely want to read this. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really wonderful. It's like so intense there's like an 80 page labor description scene which oh God, made I'm me cry so um it's it's just snippets of their life how he really wants to have sex with her again and she just can't and it's so raw and honest and maybe i mean i don't have kids but like i don't know how you would feel if you had kids when you read it but i think you'd probably relate a lot to mm. it but they've just had another kid, so I feel like things are going okay. It's working for them. Yeah. So well, maybe you just so smash good. them out, like if you don't really want the first one, but you're like, if I have a second one, they yeah. can look after each other. Yeah, that's actually really yeah. smart. I think that's what my parents did. Um, <laughs> so if I have a friend, theoretically, who's um, got a new baby, mm. would this be a good novel to give her or a really bad idea? Oh, well, I don't know because... I just don't know what that's like and I don't mm. so some people can read that stuff it depends what kind of mindset they're in I think mm. they would probably connect with it mm. yeah a lot you know how like Emily Wrights does that really raw yeah. honest yeah. I'm up all night 
perhaps you'll feel like you have an ally. And it's really short, so, you know, when you're getting between snippets of sleep, you can read into it. But I think it just comes out, it's coming into stores this week in New Zealand, and uh-huh. it's a wonderful read. So I think the tri- Sounds good. Yeah, this, these three books have been quite um, quite interesting to read this year, and I've really enjoyed all of them in different ways, and I feel like they've kind of all stayed with me in some way. So. Great. I think there's quite a lot of discussion around, um, you know, looking at from a new angle the decision of whether to have kids, and people are really starting to actually critique you know what that means for women particularly women who live creative lives mm. or and not enjoying it or in being really yeah, honest, just being about, honest it. about yeah that. yeah I think um it can be quite hard it can be quite confronting for a lot of people to hear that women might feel ambivalent about having children and also about the children that they have already had but I think that's a really important discussion to be having mm, I was saying to Jenna you know that it's something that we don't really see much of we don't really see many insights into that no, but yeah. I think we are getting more. I think so yeah. too, and so it's, it's great. Quite, it's quite, I think it kind of feeds from like blog culture yeah. and, um, and the into these kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and right. I love that. I love really personal, introspective stories like yeah. this. I find them really intriguing, and I just love to see that honesty in someone's life. You can kind of be like, well, I feel a bit, makes you feel a bit more normal. Yes, <laughs> less alone. Yeah, totally. less alone. So, um, uh, yeah, awesome, awesome books. So. Joan Ashby, that's my main review, I guess. Cerise Wallace, she's she's a film producer. This is her first book, and she's actually got a new book coming out in September already. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book was like on that pen first book yeah. award thing, and so you know, like so it's got national book award. Isn't yeah, it? Pe- I mean, people re- have really liked it, so I'd check it out. Awesome. I can Great. see it being a movie. Yeah, I sounds good. I can see it being a bad movie. Yeah, <laughs> oh, oh, and it's also got a little bit. We need to talk about Kevin. Oh, I stuff love, in I it love that. Without book. getting so dark, Me but oh. when you think of like so the chil- like nature versus nurture children yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. Great. And unnatural mothers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Duh. Give us more. All okay, right, Carrie, what have you been reading? Oh, I hope you guys don't mind, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about Sheila Heaty. Yeah. Um, just I in light of... I love Sheila oh, Heaty. Oh. Excellent. In light of Jenna's review of motherhood, which I've almost finished reading. Can I have it up Yeah, you? absolutely. Yes. I'll bring it in. Um, but she first came onto my radar in 2009 because she's the photographic model in my favourite book, the improbably titled, are you ready? <laughs> Important artefacts and personal property <gasps> from the collection of Lenore Doolin and Harold Morris, including books, street fashion and jewellery. And it's a book by Leanne Shapton. And that really is the title. And I absolutely adore her. She's an amazing illustrator and writer. And Leanne Shapton? Yes. Yeah, Leanne. Yeah. And um, this was an amazing kind of work of fiction, really spunky and um, trussed up as an auction catalogue. And Sheila Hetty was one of the models in that book. Um, so when she wrote her first book, Sheila Hetty, I was quite excited about that. How should a person be? Because, you know, her writing's quite claustrophobic and neurotic and quite navel-gazing, but with enough sort of bite and intellect to kind of keep you um, interested. And so I reviewed her first book for the listener, and I reread it last night, these all these years later, and I just thought, can I read you a bit of that review? Please. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I thought you were going to say you read, read the book last night. I was like, how do you have time for that? Okay. Uh, if anyone could do it, Karen could do it. <laughs> Hetty's writing style is perhaps deliberately prosaic, but she's good at quietly deadpan cutting observations. Sheila contemplates the fact that whereas the 19th century was tops for the novel, we now live in an age of some really great blowjob artists. (laughs) Incidentally, Hetty relishes in punctuating her novels with many blowjobs, all self-consciously administered by herself. (laughs) (laughs) Are we talking metaphorical blowjobs? Well, again, um, like motherhood, she is um, the character in her novel, Mm -hmm. How Should a Person Be? Yeah, actually, I read that book and I really enjoyed it. I, mm. I loved the description of the central female friendship at the heart of it, a very conflicted friendship mm. between Sheila and Margot. Yeah. And there's this great bit where Sheila buys the same dress as Margot, <laughs> right. uh, this yellow dress that is very sort of, you know, stands out. And um, she doesn't, she's 
sort of confused when Margot Margot was annoyed by that, and yeah. I just loved that moment because I think every every woman, Female every, every person has had that, has had that yeah. experience and, and been on either side of that, probably both sides. It reminds me of that amazing Jacqueline Fahey, the New Zealand artist, that paint that amazing painting of hers. You know, the two flatmates, my skirts in your fucking room. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that one. I'm oh, gonna look at it. Yeah, send but, it to um, you. Actually, my work published her biographies, so I should just read those. Just read them. Yeah. Um, the there's a really great interview with Sheila Hetty on this podcast called Between the Covers. Oh, I listened shit. to that. <laughs> I did accidentally. I, I listened to it to get the, um, I listened to that interview. Because I saw yeah. Pip Adam had retweeted saying oh, oh, I love this. And um, so it was a real like that's a one and a half hour super in depth yeah, yeah. interview and quite an interesting insight and also her response to the criticism that the book has had and which was really well considered I think you know, so. like I feel like she really articulated herself and had considered all angles definitely of criticism and insight into her family yeah. which is the same like her family is the family in motherhood mm. I love the part of motherhood where she talks about like tying off her her line of like if she doesn't have a child she can just end her family line in a, and it's pretty cool like quite an interesting way of looking at amazing that. insight yeah so I would recommend looking I think everyone will have a opinion on motherhood mm, it could yeah. polarize people really yeah, yeah. we like polarizing but we like it. everyone's pretty much got some skin in the game when it comes to motherhood yeah for sure um and so then, Karen did you finish reviewing your reviews um I was going to talk about a book. Yeah, oh, please. let me hear it. Yeah. <laughs> love that. So um, I've read some great books by amazing women writers recently, but one that um, I think is a really strong contender for my memoir of the year is To Throw Away Unopened by Viv Albertine. Um, such an amazing, amazing memoir and kind of I've read nothing like it before, but Viv Albertine was known for her work with the all-female post-punk group The Slits. Right. And um, her first memoir, Clothes Music Boys, um, established her as a really strong writer. And I think she actually has a background in songwriting, obviously, but she's also a filmmaker and director. And I think her background as a director really has informed her style of structure and narrative and storytelling. So that's such a, a strength for her. She's an astonishingly good writer. Her first memoir was more about music and her life as a punk, you know, in the first wave of punk. But this one's a family memoir. Um, she doesn't talk about music at all. And looking back at the rage of being a woman, smashing through patriarchy um, that she was trained to do by her mother. Um, but she has come through so much in her life. Um, divorce, years of infertility treatment, 13 operations, 11 IVF attempts, a miscarriage, one ectopic pregnancy and extremely difficult family dynamics. And the book actually opens with this sensational scene. Um, she's at the book launch for her first book. She gets a phone call saying that her mother is dying in hospital. So she races to the hospital and she's actually estranged from her sister, Pascal. And she's there and they have this vicious physical fight. <gasps> Oh my God. Over the mother's deathbed. And it's just explained in this exquisite, vicious detail. Oh my God. And it's I love bloody. That. And we kind of find out in the book how all of this came to be um, really difficult family dynamics. So it's pretty extraordinary, revealing, honest, and brutal stuff. Um, well, there's yeah. nothing like a death in the family to bring out everyone's worst side, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, totally. I find that so fascinating. But the structure of this book is really interesting because after her father died, she was estranged from him as well. Um, she found his diaries. And then after her mother died, she actually found a bag in her mother's house um, that was labelled to throw away unopen unopened, which is oh, where the title comes from. And, um, of course, she opens the, the bag. And of it's course. got all these diaries from her mother and so her narrative is actually framed on either side by the diary entries from each parent. And so, in a way, you've got three angles of one story. Oh my God, it's that's completely so amazing. Really, really great. You know, I really, sorry, I just mm. had this thought. I really love when sort of um, family history intrudes on a book in a way that it's, um, it just kind of slides in. And I was recently reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle. Mm. 
That's my I never know how to say that last name, but let's just go with that. And um, that's about the um, Golden State Killer and her obsessive <clears throat> search for his identity because mm. she was a crime blogger. Um, and there's just this moment where she talks about her relationship with her mother and it just very naturally kind of comes into the story. And I actually had tears in my eyes just reading that part. Um, so she's an incredible writer. really recommend that. Um, sorry, Karen. Great. No, I'm done. Karen, done? do you need to know who, like, if you've never listened to the slits or you didn't read the first book, can you just read this book and it's it's fine? Absolutely. They're both standalone um standalone books and I don't even frame it as a music book I frame it as a um, a memoir and you don't need to even know who she is mm. which is kind of the beauty of it you know I mean I've been hand selling that to all sorts of people um, who aren't music people mm-hmm. and it's just um, simply a memoir written by a really interesting strong independent woman with a fascinating life story so and yeah you're interviewing her soon i am interviewing her soon yes i am i forgot all about that (laughs) i have so many things on my to-do list and that just happens to be one of those just casually interviewing (laughs) yeah so that when that that comes up really looking forward to that yeah and just um for our listeners you know don't worry about furiously writing down the books that we mention we will make a big effort to put them all in the description yeah i'm ready taking notes guys so yeah um, so our next segment is so for our first podcast we did a Who the Fuck Is and that kind of took, took an interesting turn because our our person was Jordan B. Peterson and that really sparked a lot of feedback from fans from like randoms who I don't mm. think would usually listen to this podcast no, they would have had Jordan again. B. Peterson on their search you know on um, their Google alerts yeah on their Google alerts so yeah. we, ha- we, we, we found it quite hard to think of another who the fuck is because he's so like him but our, this one is a very nice tone yeah. of and yeah. very sad tone of who the fuck is Anthony Bourdain or who the fuck was Anthony, Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain. Be- was he really it was quite interesting so as you probably all know he passed away two weeks ago and it was amazing to see how many people actually connected with him and really like felt it but then I also f- had some feedback of like this guy sounds amazing. So many yeah. people I love love him. So yeah. what should I start with? But totally, I guess like because we were talking about how we can talk because he's kind of known for being a documentary food guy, but he started as a writer mm. and he started yeah. with this New Yorker piece called Don't Eat Before Reading This. It came out in 1999 and it yeah. actually just changed his life and it and it and it. And I'd propelled him changed, into what he is. I'd say that it changed really uh, the way that people talk about food. Oh, exactly. Sure. Yeah. He was really that person who talked about it in such a visceral way um, about butter, how much butter is used in food, yeah. about about meat. He said some very inflammatory marks about vegetarians, yeah, which yeah, haven't yeah. aged very well. And his offshoot the vegans. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Then, <laughs> in parts unknown, the episode where he goes to Punjab, he is just bugging out over how good the food is. And he's constantly, constantly going on about, you know, well, you know, if I was ever going to go vegetarian, I'd have to go to do it. You know, I could eat this every day. But I, and I also love about how he writes about the underbelly of the the kitchen misfits and yeah. and how you get all the misfits of society and immigrants and people who've been in prison and they're mm. sort of the ones that end up in the kitchen. Have and you guys end- worked in hospitality. No. Yes, yes. No. And everyone who's worked in the hospitality in knows hospitality. that to be true. Well, can you imagine me working in hospitality? <laughs> it wasn't pretty. But um, did you? Drop cups. <laughs> oh yeah. I was a dish bitch for eight years, and I also That's be your memoir for a year. I I went to this cafe with this mental owner in Deneen, and she was just like so off the walls. And she had um, I'd make the scones and the muffins. Like mm. so, I'd put those. I'd get them in the oven, and then I'd go to to art school. <laughs> We made it from Pekinix. Oh, I was going to say, that actually sounds quite flash. No, it wasn't flash I just want to say that my disbelief that, you know, of me working in hospo was more about me being useless. Oh, no, no. Like, no. Oh, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so he wrote this book called Kitchen Confidential, which came out in 2000, and I guess that expands on the New Yorker article, and then, of course, became an amazing TV show host, yeah. but also did lots of cookbooks in between. But... um. 
And he, he, had, he remained a writer because he wrote the narration for his oh, shows. And, that's and so I didn't beautiful. know that. And it makes so much it sense does, because that voice. there was always the sense of his voice shining yeah. through, always felt so authentic um, compared to sort of other kind of travel oriented food yeah. people. Well, he's really changed the way that a lot of people travel now. And I think of that the way that you approach food and in a new place, mm. especially in sort of places like in Asia and things yeah. where things people are like, I don't want to eat street food and he's like He's no, right in there relishing it and Yeah and, and he's like if and you've having got that human connection. Yeah. And if you've got a big line of people um standing outside a place and they're locals, these people are feeding the locals yeah. every day. So it's gotta be good and it's gotta be fresh and um I really love um a couple of things about him. I love there's this No Reservations episode where he's in Las Vegas and he kind of does this fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Is that um, the um, one that No Reservation, is that the kind of travel guide one where it's all very boom, 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 yeah. 24 hours in it? Yeah, yeah. 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 And oh, cool. there's that and there's the layover, which is like oh, if you've yeah. got 24 hours. And I was recently in Singapore. This was before he died and we did... Uh, Anthony Bourdain Singapore tour where we oh. ate five meals in one day and we just went to all the places, the chilli crab and the chicken and rice. and Oh, oh so hungry. sad. It's very oh. good. And then um, one thing about Parts Unknown, which I love, which is his, the CNN show, which has won um, Emmys and things. It's so good. really changed documentary making, but his... Um, what do you call it? Your director of photography? Um, Zach Zamboni. He uses mm. these amazing cameras that... You like wear it as a backpack and then you hold the lens in your hand and it's on a tube. And yeah. I just love all of that kind of parts of it. And it hit Anthony Bourdain's voice over those pictures make for amazing television. So I recommend if you wanted to, didn't know where to start with him, read Kitchen Confidential, yeah. but also just go to um, Parts Unknown and f- go to places either that you want to go to or you love and dip in that way. Do you yeah. think? And check out that article. We'll link that as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Um, because I just read that and I really enjoyed it. I would like to say that um, I think there is a sort of feeling about Anthony Bourdain, you know, justified or not, that he sort of contributed, and he would probably agree with this, to this very masculine sort of uh, rock and roll kitchen culture and the way that that's perceived. And I think in his later years he sort of felt that, you know, he felt differently about mm. these things. And I know that in later years he came to identify himself mm. as a feminist and he was um, married yes. to Asia Argento. Oh, partner. Sorry, his partner was yeah. Asia Argento and um, he was very supportive of the Me Too movement. That's so, right, yeah. Anthony, you know, we love you. He That's was a um, little ode to Anthony. Sisterly, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I really wanted to mention about Anthony Bourdain was that he was a huge music lover. And yeah. you guys know that I'm a music nut. And he oh, was yeah. a, oh, <laughs> We do you know, know that. Um, he was a huge music fan and the music he name-checked reflected my own record collection. You know, us for us subterranean freaks, you know, you really feel that kind of kinship. And there are some wonderful playlists too um, on Spotify um, that showed up with him contributing to them and he was into really great groups like the Bush Tetras and he loved Joe Strummer, Patti Smith, Questlove, Iggy Pop, The Stooges, Berlin era Bowie, Noi, um, Sky Saxon from the great 60s garage rock group that I really love, The Seeds. Mm. And um, he was friends with Lydia Lunch and you know, he was a real underground popular culture animal and that's something I really appreciate. And you know what it all points to really that he was a punk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, very street level. And the other thing that made me feel quite sad was I read a piece where he was talking about the books on his bedside table and one of them was Stoner by John Williams, which is one of my oh, favourite books. It's a beautiful book. And when Anthony Bourdain died, I thought, oh, God, I hope he managed to read Stoner. Yeah. I wish he'd read that, so I hope Aww. he did. I like to think he did. Makes me feel a bit emotional. Yeah. So that's a very nice who the fuck is. Some type, we can go back to scathing who the fuck is yeah. later. But yeah, yeah, let us know. Because I had some feedback being like, oh, in episode two, there was no who the fuck is. And I was like, oh, we'll bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let us know if you want us to be more mean. Um, because we can. <laughs> we can definitely do that. So what are our not book recommendations? Oh my God, we're like nearly at the end of the show. Um, so my not book recommendation is a podcast called Obscure. And I think that's on Airwolf, but you can just, you know, download it via your podcast thing where you'll hopefully subscribe to us. And um, so this is a podcast about 
the book by Thomas Hardy. I've to a couple. <laughs> um, and it's, um, it's just this random comedian guy who's on quite a few podcasts, I think. And he has had this book kind of taunting him from the bookcase. You were going to say? What was I Look, going to say? I don't know. You looked like you were going to say something. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm just looking then. at you intently. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, with, with hearts in your eyes. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I've never read Jude the Obscure, but I do really like um, Thomas Hardy. Yeah. Did I call him Tom Hardy before? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Tom. He's you know. an actor, right? Tom Hardy? Yeah, I think so. That or a footballer. He went to the Royal Wedding, I think. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Thomas Hardy, <laughs> who was a 19th century writer. Let's go with that. Um, I really enjoy some of his poetry, actually. I'll see if I can find one of his poems um, to send to you guys, which I really, really love. Um, anyway, very famous author. What is his most famous book? Is it uh, Tess of the, Tess of the Durbervilles, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic book. Beautiful book. Such a beautiful book. But anyway, Jude the Obscure. I've never read it. I've always wanted to. No, I've read I read it. This podcast popped up and he said, I'm going to be reading Jude the Obscure aloud <laughs> and commenting on it as I go. And I was like, well... I doubt many people are going to tune into this, so I'm going to be nice and I'm going to tune into it because I actually am interested in this book. And it is, it's quite weird. Like, there is quite a lot of exposition at the top. And, you know, whenever you start listening to a new podcast, you're like, oh, who the hell is this? You know, what do do I care about their life? I don't care about your dog. Um, But uh, I think that just give it a chance. And once he gets into reading the book, it's really for one thing, the book is beautiful. But for another thing, it is quite funny to hear this American guy in Connecticut just kind of trying to do these sort of he puts the middle, voices these on English accents, yeah. these sort of country English accents. <laughs> and um, there's this scene early in the book where um, Jude is a young boy. He's um, he's meant to be scaring away the crows in a field. He's got a very rough life, Jude. And um, he feels sorry for the birds, and so he, like, lets them sit down for a minute and have some food. He's like, oh, poor wee birdies. Oh, that was a bad accent. <laughs> um, anyway, that was even worse than his. Um, but um, And then the farmer comes up, and um, Jude has been scaring the birds with these clappers. And the farmer starts sort of whirling Jude around and sort of hitting him with the clappers yeah. on, each, on each revolution. <laughs> and and uh, it was, I was not expecting to be laughing at this podcast, but I was. And so do you like it, Karen? I've listened to two episodes and I agree with you. Once he starts, because, you know, there's, um, he establishes a lot of the backstory, doesn't he? Yeah. At the beginning. But once he kind of gets into it, you kind of You're you kind of get into a bit of a flow. It's yeah. quite weird, but he does sort of say, well, if I'm going to do a podcast, what would it be about? Well, I guess my tastes are quite obscure. Oh, why don't, <laughs> I, why don't I go down that track? And can um, you see him doing different... Um, different books in the future. Yeah, I think mm. it's quite an interesting concept, actually, and one that I wish I'd thought of first. Yeah. Um, and it also made me think that I should probably get into listening to audiobooks again, because I actually used to do that when I was a child. I had an incredible audiobook of The 101 Dalmatians, read by Joanna Lumley, mm. and it was absolutely iconic. Um, guys, we actually need to crack on oh, with shit. time. So, um, the and that's not just coming from self <laughs> self timing. I just quickly mention this TV show that I've been watching called The Bold Type. It's this like really cheesy, like over the top kind of New York fashiony show, um, and it's based on this woman, um, Joanna Cole. She was the Cosmopolitan editor from 2012 to 2016 and she was also the mentor on Project Runway All Stars if that's a little um, if people are into that but it's about these three girls that work in this for this magazine called Scarlet and it's a really positive feminist like but fashiony Okay, shiny show, um, really great for like Sunday afternoons. But and so the second season has just started. But I think you guys, I think you, <laughs> you would like it, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> it's super. But my mouth is agape and my eyes are shining. Yeah, because right they start the first episode like she's, um, you like like she's going to be like the bitchy editor character, but actually she's just a really yeah. positive role model in their life. But it's more about the girls and ones from the Saddle Club <gasps> TV show. Okay. okay. And then next is 
Uh, I've been watching the Patrick Melrose show, which is um, high stakes. It's screening on Soho, I think. Um, and it's the television adaptation of the Patrick Melrose novels, which um, my favourite collection of novels ever. Um, but I actually haven't really been enjoying it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, highly stylized. It looks very sumptuous and ravishing. I've only watched one episode. Um, the production design is extremely glossy and it's so stylized. To the point where you don't know if it's meant to look 60s or 80s. It's kind oh, of like just chuck some big glasses on and some big curls in your, you know, oh, of an era. Bad styling. Um, but I will, I will crack on with it and kind of see how it goes. Um, so Benedict Cumberbatch plays he plays the titular character. Yeah, he yes. does. Patrick Melrose, um, which are kind of um, autobiographical novels by Edward Saint Alban, who is an amazing writer, and they have these great droll titles like bad news never mind <laughs> at last <laughs> it's the most english thing i've ever um, heard yeah and i just think you really have to read those books they are so moorish and so savage and kind of life affirming in their excellence cool I'm gonna okay so books over tv show yeah um buzzfeed quiz so we took one called, what was it called? It's called What Book Perfectly Matches Your Personality. Oh and um, you can find it on BuzzFeed. We'll put the link up. Yeah. Um, if, should you take it, which I advise you to do at your own risk. Um, so I got Gone Girl Same. by Gillian. Oh, um, I was dying to know what you guys got. And um, they said something along the lines of, so Gone Girl is about a man accused of murdering his wife who then looks for the truth, or does he? You know, it's all very, you know, mysterious and dark. It's quite a mess um, fiction, but it's quite well done, I think. And it's a movie. And it's a movie. Mm. And um, I think the main attributes that they identified that sort of aligned us with Gone Girls were sort of nosiness and an eye for detail, mm. basically, and snooping mm. and stuff like that, which and sounds about right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. We love a good goss. Yeah, love a good goss. Okay, yep. Got it. So um, I have to confess that after I did the quiz the first time, I did it again a couple of other times to see what I get. And I just kept getting the same thing, and I got Fifty Shades of Grey. Ah! Oh my god, um, I'm sorry for screaming. You like, you like to live life a little dangerously. Sometimes it means, you know, you're open to trying new things, just like this divisive book. Your choices, opinions, and general outspokenness can gain a lot of attention. But honestly, you couldn't care less because what matters most is being true to yourself. So, you know, I can't and really smacked on the body. I can't um. really argue with that. I mean, but being the literary snob that I am, I would have preferred something like Marquis well, de Sade, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. I, well, I think and I'm yeah, a beggar. That aligns you with, with the Marquis de Sade. Let's just go with that. Well, I'm interested yeah. to see what our listeners get because I want to know who the other choices yeah. are. Yeah, well, I keep trying and I yes. just keep getting the same Thanks here, Karen. But yeah, we have to wind up. So thank you, Alice. Thank you, the spin-off books page and Unity. Thanks to MediaWorks for hosting us. And I think that's the reason why we have to leave. And um, like and subscribe to our podcast. We've got some cool ratings. Someone gave us a two, but everyone else has given us five. So keep Keep that. Um, yeah. Keep giving us. Get advice. in touch too. Yeah, and drop us a line. Tweet us at papercutspod and email us at, at papercutspod at gmail.com. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks Thank everyone. you. Bye. Bye. We love you. Bye. Bye. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.